Lead to Win is brought to you by Leaderbox, a monthly reading experience curated by leaders for leaders. Learn more at leaderbox.com. On May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister did something nobody had ever done. He ran a mile in less than four minutes. Four minutes had been an unbreakable barrier for decades. A few people had come close, but nobody ever quite made it. At the University of Kansas, Wes Santee had come within a few seconds. An Australian John Landy ran the mile in four minutes, two seconds, several times. But he couldn't seem to close the gap. He said two seconds may not sound like much, but to me, it's like trying to break through a brick wall. The world record had stood at four minutes, one second for nine years. A lot of people had started to think it would never be broken. Maybe it couldn't be. Even John Landy said, someone may achieve the four minute mile the world is wanting so desperately, but I don't think I can. Four laps, four minutes, it just seemed impossible. So when Roger Bannister ran the mile in three minutes, 59.4 seconds, he became an instant celebrity. His name was known all over the world. Even today, more than 50 years later, he's still considered the greatest track and field athlete of all time. Well, not really. Roger Bannister was the world's greatest athlete for exactly 46 days. The very next month, John Landy did run the mile in three minutes, 58 seconds. Within a year, four people had run the mile in under four minutes. Now even high school kids are doing it. In fact, the current world record is three minutes, 43 seconds. Bannister was the first, but he wasn't the best or the greatest. Here's the really amazing thing about Roger Bannister. Just a few months after becoming a global phenomenon, he quit running. He just gave it up. Like all track athletes at the time, Bannister was not a professional. He was a medical student. He only had about an hour a day to train over his lunch break. He was never in it for the fame and certainly not for the money. He ran because he loved the sport. He ran to compete. He ran to break the record. But he never wanted running to be his whole life. To him, track was not a career path and it certainly wasn't his identity. It was just a hobby. Roger Bannister went on to have a distinguished career in medicine, and he published more than 80 papers and edited several textbooks. Years later, somebody asked him if the four-minute mile was his greatest achievement. He said, no, I'd rather be remembered for my work in neurology. If you offered me the chance to make a great breakthrough in the study of the automatic nerve system, I'd take that over the four-minute mile right away. Discipline, stamina, focus, determination. Those are a few of the qualities you need to be a great distance runner just so happens you need those same traits to be a great scientist. So here's an interesting question. Would Roger Bannister have excelled the way he did in medicine if he hadn't pushed himself to excel on the track? Or to put it another way, was chasing the cure to rare diseases a result of his love for chasing the four-minute mile? I'm convinced the things we do off the field, the things we do outside of work, have a spillover effect in our careers. When you make the time to explore or create or compete, when you try something just for fun, it makes you better at everything you do. It makes you a better leader. Every leader should have a hobby. Do you? Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. 
And in this episode, we'll show you the three surprising benefits of having a hobby. We all want to be as productive as we can be. That's why it's tempting to pour nearly all of our energy into our work. But neglecting self-care creates a downward spiral of fatigue and low productivity, often ending in burnout. Today, we'll show you how creative activities like hobbies, sports, or just having fun can boost your leadership. And we'll hear from several of our own team members about how their hobbies keep their minds fresh. When we're done, you'll have a sure way to boost your performance and help you make better decisions than ever before. Before we dive into today's content, let me ask you a favor. If you're enjoying Lead to Win, please subscribe to it in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you don't know how to do that, just go to leadto.win slash subscribe. We've made it super easy. That boosts the podcast in the rankings so other leaders can find it and benefit from it too. Thanks. Okay, so dad, the first thing we need to do here is define what we mean by a hobby. For example, I know a lot of people out there are runners, <laughs> but I'm gonna just be honest, that does not sound restorative to me. I know it might for some of you who are listening, but to me, not so much. You know what's funny about that? I've always listed that as a hobby when you do those surveys, you say, what are yeah, your hobbies? Right. But the truth is, not a hobby to me either. Yeah. You know, it's a way of- Self-care. Self-care. Which is good. But not technically what we mean by a hobby. Right. So some of you out there who think you have a lot of hobbies, you might not. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to whittle it down right That's here. That's right. Okay. So I would say that it includes anything, any kind of uh, creative or restorative activity outside of work. Okay. And there are four elements that have to be present. First of all, control. In other words, you get to choose it. Detachment. It gets you out and away from work. Mm-hmm. Relaxation. It lowers your negative stress and catharsis. It allows you to leave it all behind. Okay, I'm going to add another one. Okay. This might be obvious, but in case you're new to this, maybe it's not. You have to enjoy it. Okay. I, I was actually thinking <laughs> the same thing, I mean, especially in light of our conversation about running. Right, exactly. Okay, you can get this benefit from nearly anything. It doesn't just have to be something that we would technically think of as a hobby, but it could be a craft, home decorating, problem solving, leisure activities. These activities help you recover mentally and they release stress. Okay, so even famous people have hobbies, including... They do? Yes. Okay. Uh, including Steve Wozniak, who plays Segway Polo. Okay, just just think about that and visualize it for a minute. Segway Polo. No ponies. Well, I guess the Segway would be cheaper than a pony. Maybe. And you don't have to feed it. Maybe more dangerous? I don't know. Okay, Warren Buffett apparently plays the ukulele. Richard Branson loves kite surfing. No surprise there. Liam Neeson goes fly fishing. And Tom Hanks collects old typewriters. So Warren Buffett, isn't he like a master bridge player? He and uh, Bill Gates, I think, like travel around, pal around, and play bridge in these tournaments. <laughs> That's so geeky, but it's awesome. Yeah, I know. But you know, it, I mean, it does challenge you mentally. I could see why that No means, doubt. You know. All right, so Allie Osland, who is our social community manager, she loves to take her family on hikes. And while that might seem exhausting to some of us, listen to what she has to say about why that refreshes her. What I love to do um, to just get some rest and relaxation and energize my creative thought processes is to go on hikes with my family. We have lived in Tennessee for about four years, and we absolutely love the beautiful day trails and hikes and parks um, just a few minutes from our home. So we have a running list of waterfalls that we want to hit in the next few years. And about once a month, we try to go out, 
drive somewhere, take the day, take a picnic lunch, take the dog, and we go on a great hike, um, see some beautiful nature, um, just enjoy being out of the city, um, out away from stress, away from busyness, and um, have our kids just really get to experience um, that side of life. We, we love the coolness of being under the trees. We got to swim in waterfalls and, and encourage my kids to have some adventurous spirit. And that really just helps me just totally unplug. I mean, you're not looking at your phone. No one's on devices. Um, you get to really just soak in nature and all the beautiful textures and colors and sights and sounds. And I always leave my hikes like physically tired um, and just and that really great tired feeling when you've worked your body really hard for the day, but just mentally just recharged and refreshed and just feeling so thankful for our family and thankful for our life um, and just, you know, really ready to jump into my week ahead. Okay, so Megan, what are your hobbies? Okay, so I have to be honest here for a second because I had a little anxiety about this episode because as uh, you know for sure and probably many of our listeners know, I am not only leading our company, but I also have four children ages 17 to 8, which might qualify as hobby enough. (laughs) (laughs) But I think a lot of our listeners are probably thinking what I'm thinking, which is, well, how the heck are you supposed to have a hobby when you have such a full life in this season of raising kids and running a business and all that? That, That's legitimate. It's legitimate because it's very different than where you are, where you have an empty nest and you have a lot more discretionary time. It's awesome. My hobbies are cooking. I love to cook. In fact, this past weekend, um, I've always loved to cook. That's always been kind of like a therapeutic thing for me, um, cathartic to use our uh, criteria from earlier. And this weekend, Joel and I went to Whole Foods. We just kind of talked about like, remember how when we were dating, you know, we used to grocery shop all the time together, which just seems silly. You know, once you're married with four kids, it's just not efficient. But we did a little date. We went to Whole Foods and we picked out a couple menus that we wanted to make. And we cooked this weekend. And it was so fun. Okay, what did we cook? Um, I made French pot pie which okay. was so delicious from Ina Garten, the Barefoot Contessa, who basically everything she makes is wonderful. Totally. I made homemade rum raisin ice cream, which was really with you in mind. Which I ate and it was <laughs> amazing. It was pretty fantastic. Um, I made fruit pizza with the kids, which is like a cookie kind of thing with a little cream cheese topping and the kids got to decorate it with fruit. That was great. I can't remember what else, but it was, it was really fun. And for me, that feels very restorative to just be in my kitchen and kind of putter, I guess. You know, kind of in our family, you're known as the pie queen. I don't know if we've ever used that term with you, but. (laughs) It's on my business card. (laughs) (laughs) But you make phenomenal. Pie queen. You make phenomenal pies. Well, it's really fun. So I think for me, that's a good example of in this season of my life that fits in, you know. The other thing I do is yoga, which I love. And so on Wednesday night, I do like a really low-key restorative yoga class, which I affectionately call napping with friends. <laughs> it's basically stretch napping. Right. I mean, it's it's not even really that much stretching. It's really just, you know, finding comfortable positions where you're taking time to breathe and just kind of not do a thousand things at once, which is really good for me. So that's the other thing that I do that I cool. uh, have been doing for a while. So what about you? Well... You know, I don't just like have one hobby. I've got a lot of things. You that are I dabble kind at. of the hobby king. Really? Yeah. Why do you say that? <laughs> because you're always trying things. I feel like you you have a new hobby about every six months, and if you multiply that, you know, <laughs> by years, that's a lot of hobbies. <laughs> well, I I know how to do a lot of things, kind of halfway. Right. <laughs> you know, so I think I got that from my dad. Yes. My dad is a serial hobbyist. Mm-hmm. 
And he's constantly got something that he's learning. Like now he's really big into woodworking. I went over there on Sunday. Mom and I went over there for dinner. And uh, he showed me this thing he was carving. He was actually drawing this angel on one side of a piece of wood. On the other side, he was carving this other angel. So I don't know how he's going to make those two things work. My dad's like 84. So impressive. He really is always doing something. And I think that's, frankly, what's kept him you know, sharp and mentally present and healthy and all the rest. Okay, I have a question for you. How have your hobbies changed through different seasons of your life? Well, well, first of all, I thought you asked me what my hobbies were. Like I didn't even answer the question yet. You're right. I have another (laughs) question before we even got there. (laughs) Okay, tell us your hobbies and then I want to know the answer to that question. Okay, so probably the one that's the most consistent is golf. Yeah. But I don't do it that much. Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe six times a year. Okay. Okay, but I enjoy it. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to, Edit that back. I would say the most consistent hobby and the thing that I've done more this year than anything is fishing. That's true. You have done a lot of fishing. This I year. have done, I would give myself an A plus on fishing this year. <laughs> I, would, I would also give you an A plus. Okay. And so I fished with you once. That was so fun. And it was your first fly fishing thing. And yes. I just love fly fishing. Well, that is my aspirational hobby when I have more time, when my kids are a little older and you know I can be gone for a whole day at a time or half a day at a time to go fishing. Oh, so great. I, I love it. It's very similar to golf in that you're doing something, but you're not doing much. But it isn't golf, which makes me like it. <laughs> okay. So two, two other things before you answer your follow-on question. Okay. I know you're, de- you're dying to get Dying to know. Okay. So the, the other two hobbies, and I do this almost every day, but is Native American flute. Wow. Every day? Pretty much. It's just my way of relaxing at the end of the day. And then playing the like guitar, you're, which you're I don't kinda, do as much. You're kind of like hiding your light under a bushel there. Well. You need to bring it out. I don't know about that. We That's, should put it on the podcast. We should totally put it on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, how many people can say that they do that? It's pretty unique. Well, yeah. I. You know, it's it's not that hard. That It's kind of like yoga. It's like relaxing. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, it's Well, you're just, also breathing, right? You're breathing. You have to breathe to play. I didn't think about that. Good point. Okay, so what's your big question? So my big question is for all of us who are listening and thinking to to ourselves, well, I could never do that, you know, because I have four kids at home or, you know, what, whatever, my job is too crazy and I have to travel. So how has this changed at different seasons of your life? This is probably like the best I'm assuming it's ever been for you. Yeah. You're able to devote more time to your hobbies than you ever have. But what, what did you do when you were my age? Well, I would say that I tried to read Mm-hmm. And I tried to sneak in reading kind of in the cracks, you know, in the margins of life. Right. And that's, by the way, I didn't mention that before, but that's still, you know, a hobby for me. Yeah. But I think reading's a big, big thing. So that's mm-hmm. a little bit easier to do in little snack bites, you know, where you can. Right. But I sure didn't golf when you guys were young because that's, you know, five or six hours away from the house. Right. And mom needed me there. So that wasn't uh, possible. I did start writing, you know, as mm-hmm. you guys got into... Uh, middle school and, you know, once right. you were all in, all in school that I had time to write. I think you probably golfed occasionally and fished occasionally. It was just more, you know. Um, Very rare though. Just occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. So that should encourage us that if, for those of us who are maybe in a different season of life, that you can start somewhere and then build on it throughout your life. Absolutely. It's almost like something you can cultivate. Absolutely. As you go. And, and I will say that, that it is restorative mm-hmm. and that when I come back from a fishing trip or golfing or whatever, you know, I'm just, I, I've got so many ideas. It just seems right. like, and it's not that I get those ideas on the golf course or I get those ideas when I'm fishing. I don't. Mm-hmm. But when I come down, there's just something about the mental state that I'm in that makes it productive for creating new things. Right. Well, and the good thing is you can get started in as little as maybe an hour a week or 30 minutes a week. It yeah. doesn't have to be a big, huge commitment. The important thing is just to carve out time for something um, that's restorative like well, this. Well, and apropos to our premise for this particular podcast, 
we think there's a work value in doing this. Absolutely. So it's not just that there's value in doing it, which by the way, that would be enough to justify sure. it, right? In terms of living your life. But for those people that feel like they got to justify everything in terms of how it impacts their work, this definitely mm-hmm. has a work impact. So hobbies are restorative because they free your mind and they relieve stress. But let's talk about the specific way that they feed your work. So we've identified four benefits of having a hobby. What's the first one? So the first one is that having a hobby makes you smarter. I'm all in favor of anything that makes you smarter, right? Especially if it's fun. Yeah. So having a hobby or a creative outlet does make you smarter. And it's because creative pursuits activate a part of the brain called the nucleus accumbens. Say, say that, that five times. I was about to say that. Okay. So the area of the brain controls uh, uh, how we feel about life and how we feel about life is important. It's where we process motivation, reward, pleasure. We also activate thousands of neurotransmitters that sharpen our focus and become energized around one activity. The result, we're refreshed, recharged. We're able to see things in a different way. So for example, if I go on a hike which, by the way, that's one of your mother's hobbies right? and something I try to participate uh, with her in from time to time. But if you go for a hike or you play around a golf, which basically is another way to take a hike. <laughs> on <laughs> Chase most, it on mostly flat ground. <laughs> I know, right. And so if you go for a hike or play around a golf and the solution to a problem just suddenly appears in your mind. Yeah. And it's oftentimes when we're not thinking about the solution that we come so up with true. a solution. I find that happens to me all the time when I walk. I walk almost every morning early and I'm by myself, you know, out kind of in nature. And I have so many ideas and breakthroughs. It's incredible. Well, right behind me, I wrote the name of a brand new product, Mm -hmm. a name for the product. And I got that on my walk. Really? Yeah. So the the moral of the story is take more walks. Take more walks. Right. Absolutely. I sometimes do this too. I don't know if you've ever done this. Like I've got a problem I can't solve and I'll just say, I want to solve that problem. And then I, I call it crockpotting it. But I just like put it in the crockpot at night. Hmm. And then oftentimes I'll wake up with a solution to it. Hmm. You know, because my subconscious has gone to work. I don't even understand how that works, but it does work. But we'll take it. Okay, so here is a great example of this. J.R.R. Tolkien, who was an English professor, he began as an English professor, not a novelist, but he had a hobby of making up languages. I'm suddenly feeling very insecure about my (laughs) hobbies, seem very small compared to this. But he wrote The Lord of the Rings, and he said, the invention of languages is the foundation. The stories were made rather to provide a world for the languages rather than the reverse. That is so fascinating. Isn't that fascinating? Well, I love the languages that that are in the the books and in the movies, but- That's so interesting. I know. So we also heard from Deidre Romero, who is our production manager for Platform University. Listen to how that changed her perspective on difficult problems. My hobby is writing fiction. And I've been doing this for about six years now. After my first child was born, I started doing this as a way to escape, actually. you know, motherhood and having a, a young baby is really stressful. And uh, even though I was exhausted, I couldn't sleep at night. And so I would lay awake in my bed and imagine stories and characters and what they would do. And I found that it was a really good way for me to escape and transport myself. But also I found that I was working out issues or questions I had Um, in my fiction, which was a really a surprising thing for me. But I found that the themes that I was writing about, the things my characters were struggling with, were questions I also had. So it became a sort of therapy for me. Um, And it, it helped me calm down 
but then I took it to the next level and I started doing it just as a daily practice of writing stories and revisiting things I'd written. And I've never published any of it. Um, I've never tried to publish any of it, but it really is like just a passion project for me. Hey, I've got some great news to share with you. We're about to start shipping the third edition of our best-selling product, the Full Focus Planner. This version comes with updated daily pages, weekly review and previews, monthly calendars, sketch pages, and so much more. So if you've been hearing great things about the Full Focus Planner, and if you've thought about getting one of your own, now's the perfect time. But just in case you don't know what it is, the Full Focus Planner is a physical planner, a paper planner to help you distill your big annual goals into daily actions. Some of the best features include our Daily Big Three, which helps prioritize your high leverage items for a day, and our weekly review and preview to help you plan your week and beat overwhelm. The planner also follows a 90-day achievement cycle. This helps break up your big annual goals into quarterly goals so you're always making progress. And with our annual subscription, we can automatically deliver a new planner to your doorstep every 90 days, so you never experience a break from your goal achievement. To get your copy of the Full Focus Planner, just head on over to fullfocusplanner.com today. All right, so engaging in a hobby frees your brain. It makes you smarter by feeling refreshed and able to see things in a different light. So what's the second benefit of having a hobby? The second benefit is that it makes you more creative. I mean, let's be honest. Work is exhausting. Right. Even when it's great. Right. Like, I really enjoy doing these podcasts, and we're recording four today, Mm -hmm. but I will be absolutely exhausted by the end of the day. No doubt. Hobbies and creative pursuits uh, restore that that creativity. Like, they refill Mm -hmm. the tank. So Google has an 80-20 rule to promote creativity. I actually love this. Employees can work 20% on side projects, not their main job. At work. Yeah, at work. Wow. First, the truth is the research would say that's happening anyway. (laughs) That's probably true. That's probably true. But they at least channeled it and see it as an employee benefit. But I I think there's been a lot of benefits as a result of that too. But a study in the Journal of Occupational and Organizational Psychology concluded this. Creative activities are likely to provide valuable experiences of mastery and control, but may also provide employees experiences of discovery that uniquely influence performance-related outcomes. Now, I don't know that we could document this here at Michael Hyatt & Company, but my guess is that some of the pursuit of those hobbies and fun things actually end up showing up in the business. Totally. Well, I have given kind of coaching advice to the folks that are on my team and said, why don't you go out to the batting cage or, you know, go play around to golf or something when I know that they're stuck. You know, like if if they're stuck on a big problem that they just need to have a breakthrough on, my advice is always get out of the office because you're probably not going to have it sitting at your desk, Mm. you know, or in this kind of environment. You really need to get in your body. You need to get outside. You need to do something that engages a different part of your brain, probably the right side of your brain in a way that you can't. It it does. And I think we have to distinguish here between sort of like active recovery and passive recovery. Right. So like if you're doing strength training, which I do, you know, active recovery would be doing something like going for a walk the next day after strength sure. training. I think what a lot of people do is they work so hard and they have no boundaries on their work life that they end up exhausted and right. all they want to do is veg out. Right. So like Netflix or napping are not actually hobbies. Yeah. They're not hobbies and they're not, <laughs> well, I mean, I, mean, I would, you could argue, argue, and I obviously do, that naps are restorative. Sure. But, but I think vegging out in front of the TV about. is not 
really restorative in the talk in the way that we're talking about it here. It's and it's also not a hobby. Right. I mean, it's not engaging. That's not the point of it. So the other thing about creativity too is it's not only the active and the passive restorative nature of it, but it's also that if you just work all the time, and if your hobbies don't do something proactively, you're just going to get in a rut. Mm-hmm. You know, the only thing active you're doing is your work. That's exactly what we heard from Adam Hill, who is our director of print products. He has a really unusual hobby. Lately, I have been teaching myself to write songs on the banjo as my de-stressor or my hobby. I think it's important to try to learn how to be creative with new things, because if you get really adept at something, you start to rely on muscle memory. And if you get really adept at something, you start to mimic other things and you get too comfortable. Or if you get too competent at something, you start to lose that creative spark. So I think when you're trying to figure out something new, when you're first starting with it, you really bring a lot of yourself to it because you're holding off for dear life and the competency hasn't caught up with you yet. Now, that kind of stuff is immensely applicable to work problems because the more you work through creative problems and you work with creative problem solving, when you go to work on projects in your your day job you have this sort of tool or arsenal in your in your mind of well you know i've i've seen things like this before or i've had a similar problem and you can navigate through it using some of the same uh you know ropes and levers that you uh, developed working on your own creative pursuits and that's similar to what we heard from megan greer our marketing project manager she's got another one of those hobbies that's really challenging My hobby is that my husband and I love to do home renovation projects. And our current project is that we inherited my husband's uh, grandmother's home in his hometown, and we've slowly been renovating it over the last year. And the reason that this is such a release for me is it's a huge puzzle, which I love puzzles. After we're done working on the house for the weekend, whenever we go down there, it's very gratifying. Okay, we've gotten a couple of things checked off our list, but usually something is very noticeably different from when we got there to when we finished. And it might not be all the way done, but you know, it's really nice to see this room that maybe looked really dingy before and dirty and we've completely repainted it and it looks so nice and fresh now. So it's, it's very gratifying. It's kind of like that instant gratification thing where um, something's just completely redone and new compared to how you found it when you got there. So that's really fun. So it just makes sense. Think about what a hobby forces you to do. You have to learn new skills, try new things, think about problems you don't usually face, get into a new environment, switch the side of your brain from analytical to creative or the reverse. Stuart Brown, author of Play, says that you have to give yourself permission to be a beginner to jumpstart your creative pursuits. That's a really good point. It's one of my favorite things about hobbies. And that's why I'm a serial hobbyist, because I like going to the position of a beginner and starting with a blank slate. I had to remind myself of that when I fly fish with you for the first time, because man, that's complicated. It is. There's so many things to remember and synchronize and you know, understand, and it's not going to come together in the first time. That's exactly right. 
The first benefit of a hobby is to make you smarter because it activates the areas of your brain that produce a feeling of well-being and helps you think differently. And the second benefit is that it makes you more creative by boosting your recovery from stress. So what's the third benefit? The third benefit is that having a hobby makes you feel more relaxed. Well, that's obvious, right? But it's one of the benefits. Remember the four elements that we mentioned before. You get to choose it. It detaches you from your normal environment. It lowers your negative stress and it allows you to leave it all behind. Mm -hmm. All that adds up to is relaxation. And studies show that relaxation can decrease your blood pressure, relieve your pain, improve your immune and cardiovascular systems, but you get to clear your mind. You forget your problems. You feel better. So I have a question. Okay. We know that those people who are listening to us are high achievers. They're leaders. And they didn't get that way because they were probably kicking back in the backyard, you know. Spent a lot of time in the hammock. Right. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So what if it's hard to relax? What if you feel agitated or anxious or restless and, you know, you just kind of want to dive for your phone and check your email when you're, you're trying to do something relaxing? Yeah, the problem is that just makes you more anxious and less relaxed. Do you get so, better at it, do you think? I mean, totally, is this like a skill? Totally. But think of it this way. You know, if all you're doing is sitting around trying to be relaxed, that's the hardest way to be relaxed. Right. The easiest way is when it's a byproduct of something else, right? Mm-hmm. So if you jump into another activity that requires enough of your focus that you can't think about work, and by the way, that's fishing, that's golf, that's all the things we've been talking about. Crafting, cooking. Yeah. So you, you don't have enough headspace to be thinking about work, and suddenly, without knowing it, you're in flow- and you've forgotten about work and you're relaxed. This is actually the, the secret, I think, for people who feel like they have a hard time relaxing. Right. Is that very often people struggle if they go on vacation, for example, to really kind of let their hair down and, and settle into it. But if you schedule things and to the same- This is hugely important. You know, to, to the same point, schedule your hobbies, schedule lessons, schedule group activities, things like that. Yep. Then you'll have to show up for one thing. And like you said, you're going to be so occupied because there's an active nature to what you're doing that- it's kind of the antidote to that restlessness. It totally is. Because the opposite of work is not just doing nothing. Right. The opposite of work is actually play. Ah. And so you've got to be active in your play and you've got to plan your play and you've got to be intentional about your play. Like the worst kind of vacation to me, and you think you'll like this on on the front end of the vacation, Mm -hmm. is I don't want anything scheduled. I just want to veg. The problem is your mind drifts back to work and you start getting anxious or you start actually doing work. Right. But if you've got something scheduled, like, hey, today we're going to go fishing all day long. You know, I've got some guides hired. They're going to meet us. We're going to go fishing all day long. I don't have time to think about work. I get to the end of that day, and suddenly I'm amazingly relaxed. Mm-hmm. I love that. So far, we've seen three benefits for leaders in having a hobby. It makes you smarter, it makes you more creative, and it makes you more relaxed. What's the fourth? It makes you more productive. Hmm. So there's a study that we referenced a minute ago from the Journal of Occupational and Organizational Psychology. It reported that people who engage in creative activities gain these benefits. They have a greater willingness to take risks. They are able to think of alternative solutions. They're willing to take on extra responsibilities. They're more willing to collaborate. And they have the ability to acquire new skills, greater mastery, greater ability to work in a demanding environment, and a better attitude toward the business. It's a lot of things. Yeah. And then if you want to summarize that, you're more productive on the job, right? You're more of value to your company or to your business. And it's really that simple. 
It's why the hustle fallacy is a fallacy, which we talked about in uh, episode 27 on self-care as a leadership discipline. Right. And it's it's a really scary thing that a lot of people not only practice, but advocate. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the de facto standard in the work environment, at least in America, in you know at the time we're recording this, people are caught up in this hustle fallacy thing. Mm-hmm. And it's very destructive of work and of life. Absolutely. So here's proof of that idea. In his book, Play, Stuart Brown tells about an executive for a high-tech company who had engineering teams in the U.S., Czech Republic, and China. The Chinese team was not coming up with nearly as many new ideas or technology as others. So he set up a play week on an island off the China coast and invited all the engineers to a play camp for grownups, right? Now listen to this. After that week, the Chinese engineers showed a bump in morale and productivity, worked better together, and came up with more effective and original design solutions. I I love that, but that would take a lot of courage as a leader. Right. To do that. Now we've done things like that in the past. Mm -hmm. We try to do it once a quarter in our team training. You know, we'll do a team training thing and then we'll go play together. Right. And I think it's good for the morale and it's good for productivity. Today, we've learned that every leader needs a hobby to help recover from the stress of work. Taking time away for creative pursuits actually makes you smarter, more creative, helps you relax, and makes you productive. As we come in for a landing, I just want to remind you that you have permission to play around. Give yourself the freedom to dabble at something and be a beginner. It'll do you good. Dad, do you have any final thoughts today? Yeah, I do. I would challenge people to schedule one hour a week to do this. And I think that's something that almost anybody can do. Yeah, I think so too. But... You know, our mantra is what gets scheduled gets done. Mm -hmm. And if it's not on your calendar, it's probably not going to happen because you're going to be waiting for the time to open up in your calendar to do it. And guess what? That doesn't happen. That takes intention and it takes putting it on your calendar. So start there. As we close, I want to thank our sponsor, Leaderbox. It provides automated personal development in a box. Check it out at leaderbox.com. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, you can get the show notes, including a cheat sheet on the eight types of play personalities and a full transcript online at lead2.win. Thanks again for joining us on Lead to Win. Also, subscribe to this podcast and get actionable leadership advice every week. Just go to lead2.win slash subscribe. If you're a new listener, you may want to check out episode 27. That's the one on self-care as a leadership discipline. I know you'll enjoy it. This program is copyrighted by Michael Hyatt and Company, all rights reserved. Our producer is Nick Jaworski. Our writers are Joel Miller and Lawrence Wilson. Our production manager is Mike Burns. Our production assistant is Alicia Curry. Who's finally back from maternity leave. Yay! Yay. We invite you to join us next week, and we'll show you the four greatest pitfalls in decision-making and how to avoid them. Until then, lead to win. Yeah.